Oh, I am Daniel Lickies and welcome to Book 101. Book 101 is all about the books that I read for the last 40 years. And today, I have my special guest. He is the author of several books, no other than Mr. Sean B.W. Parker. Mr. Sean. Hello. Hi, Daniel. Before we go on, I want to do the recap of the books that we talked about for the last three weeks. Compelling speech, this tamering enigma. Yes, right. Um, a Compelling speech, well, which I uh, published just earlier this year, in 2023, um, is like an autobiography of a, of a stammer. Um, and uh, how it is dealt with by stammerers themselves and how it's also seen in, in the culture. Uh, so things like A Fish Called Wonder and The King's Speech and things like this, but also with a good sort of dose of humour inside the book as well. Yes, state of independence from pop art to art rock and beyond. Right, um, states of independence is like a list book of... Um, uh, of sort of popular songs of the last 50 years um, which have been cancelled or have been controversial for some some political reason, cultural political and um, sort of a, it, it's a list of all, all the books, uh, those songs and the reasons that they were controversial in the first place. And of course, Swimming Uphill Absurd Theories. Yeah, uh, Swimming Uphill in there too, uh, from uh, 2017. That's a novel um, which is based around a character called Al Anthony Wolstadt, who uh, I invented whilst I was living in Istanbul, who's um, like an actor getting over uh, his past and trying to understand how um, cultural movements and the woke sort of things that were starting to emerge there were happening and getting confused by them. So uh, it's a book all about that sort of thing. Yes, and last but not the least, bean soup. Yeah, bean soup um, is uh, is a very slim and interesting little book. Uh, it's a collection of poetry and plays and cultural observations uh, of me and others with photos in it. It's an illustrated book, um, and it's 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 a book from the middle of a nervous breakdown, basically. And um, anybody who starts to read it will understand that and it's about all kinds of issues going on in England at the time of 2018 yeah basically okay Mr Sean what will be our topic today um today it, um is my 2015 book which was my second book um called uh genuflecting before the pork barrel demagogues <laughs> it's not easy to say um and uh yeah so that was my second one and it was it's an explicitly sort of political book about the um situation at the time of uh the world leaders like the type Tayyip erdogan of turkey and uh putin of russia and david cameron as well and all others um get, get in there but always sort of th through my humanist lens um of 
having the characters of a town talk about those leaders and the, the influence that they have in their life in the prism of the media. Um, so this kind of style I have of going through big stories to little ones into human life um, started very much in this book. Yes. So, Sean, how did you craft this 2015 book? Um, I, I had started to, to actually write articles uh, for certain magazines like The uh, Louder Than War and um, The Multicultural Guide in Turkey. Um, I, I hadn't just started it. I kind of been doing that for a couple of years. And a couple of the think pieces that um, I would do, especially about the Turkish situation, uh, so, uh, seemed to be quite popular in those magazines. And um, they were exciting my imagination. So I started to expand them into chapter length. And um, so as as the new stories would come out, like um, the actual kind of conflict in, in the Ukraine started back then. And I would talk about that in, in this, often through the eyes of um, of, of me as, as, as a normal person, as opposed to a cultural writer, and how that felt and what the media were doing to these stories. Um, so the critique that I, I continue to do of the media, I think started very much in, in this book, um, because of there's something like an extra force in the world, which the media is, uh, which has now been been <laughs> observed everywhere, um, started there. So I started to expand these essays into chapters, and then I connected the chapters together to make a big scene of what was going on in 2015. Very well said, uh, Mr. Sean. So again, reflecting before the pork barrel demagogues, what's behind the title of your 2015 book? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a hell of a title, isn't it? Um, yes. I enjoy the colour of um, what that actually means in English and the complexity of it and the fact that I'm not openly attacking these leaders. I'm just sort of saying that there's an obligation, even in democracy, to get on your knees in prayer of people who are actually of your same level. In a democracy, a politician isn't any better than the working man, but they give the impression that they are. So you genuflect, you get on your knees and say, oh, yes, Mr. Putin, Mr. Erdogan, Mr. Cameron, I, I agree and you're wonderful. And that's not how it should be. You should just be looking at them in the eyes. And hopefully that's... And the port barrel is um, uh, a thing comes from American culture of uh, there's a lot of scraps of pork in a barrel and the politician who wants to get the vote of the people in that kind of democracy will uh, to sell the barrel to whoever um, uh, uh, will or, or or buy the barrel. You know, it's a trading thing. So it's the votes for, for favours as opposed to doing things by proper ethics. Um, and that was what Mr. Tayyip Erdogan in Turkey was accused of doing when he first came to power as well, uh, buying coal for, from people in East Turkey in order to get their votes. So, um, yeah, the port barrel stuck with me. So I thought I wanted to get that into a title somewhere and it ended up in this one. <laughs> so, Mr. Sean, can you share to us what is a pork barrel in the United Kingdom? Oh, um, 
it doesn't have a reference in the UK. So that's a part of the reason I wanted to use it as well to, to kind of introduce it over here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it, it's, it's not a known thing to um, have, have an, uh, an item that the public wants. So then you can say, well, you can have it if you vote for me. <laughs> so that, that it's like a way of uh, buying democracy, basically, isn't it? So it's a metaphor for that because we don't have such things as pork barrels. We have pork kind of corners of supermarkets, which you don't have to buy for democratic votes. Um, but I hope people get the reference if they, uh, if they investigate. What is the flaws? The flaws in the book? Yes. Uh, the, all of my books are so full of flaws, it's uh, impossible to actually answer that question. But um, <laughs> whose aunt, you know, whose aunt? But um, I, I guess a, a reader coming to it, if they're expecting a very heavy academic book about politics, they're not going to get it because I always put it through a humanist and humorous lens. And if a person's coming to it expecting just comedy, they're not going to like it because it's not just that. It's got both of those things going on. And um, that's my style. Um, and it's not for everyone. So um, it's it has humour, it has politics, but I don't always go into deep quotes or anything like that. I do that in other places. Very well said, Mr. Chan. So if you want to go back and revise the book itself, which part of the book do you want to revise? Um well, talked to you about before, once the book is done, it's done. And to go back and to look at something that I did now eight years ago um, would be pointless. So I wouldn't change anything. It's, um, it's, it's of its time. It's the political person that I was then, quite angry at what was going on with the media and politics. And um, I'm just a bit older now, so I, I express it in different ways and a bit more with a bit more artistry uh, i think it's quite an angry an angry book for me i suppose that one um as i got used to england after being in turkey and understanding that things weren't, weren't that different after all is there a follow-up for this book the book afterwards was um swimming uphill uh absurd theories like uh we've discussed but if people haven't 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 heard that then swimming uphill was kind of taking the ideas of the politics in 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 the genuflecting um the global politics and putting them into a small town context um so in a sense kind of every book that i do next is a follow-up to the last one there's always a, a connection to the last thing genuflecting is deliberately aimed at, at a bigger scope of of the, the global scene and put it that way coming uphill is much more likely is much more aimed at scaling down to the community level so um yeah it's a follow-up but it's it's a downscale at the same time and and it's a thicker book so i'm just swimming uphill as i became a bit more comfortable as a writer uh going from uh academic sort of politics into storytelling yeah so mr shan do you think did you miss something to be included for sure for sure um it's got a specific sort of focus on the turkish situation because i was very used to turkey after 10 years and the english situation of coming back into it going into brexit and things like that and also what mr putin was doing to russia from my point of view 
And that's just the three big world leaders, right? So there's many, many, many more. Um, Jing in, in, in China and all over the rest of the world. But I wasn't going to do a book that talked about all of the world leaders from an armchair position. It's um, not, <laughs> it's, it's a bit, you know, it's that's an ambition that's a bit kind of past past my abilities. So um, could have, has, has there been stuff left out? Yes, because I'm talking about politics. So there's always going to be things left out. But um I'm still quite happy with it, even though, as I say, it's eight years eight years later. Okay, eight years later, Mr. Sean, because there's a lot of things happening right now. Would mm. you like to do amendments for this book? Um, in in the sense that it's a time-stamped book, I don't think uh, it would be a very good idea because... Um, it's the person that I was then sort of looking at the politics as they were then. So to come back now would be a person eight years later going back and kind of trying to revise what's happened then. And as I'm against the concept of, of the revision in art very much, you know, I don't agree with going back on historical books and uh, kind of, sort of uh, changing what's happened in that book according to your morality now. I think that's a real enemy of art. So um, I couldn't apply that thing to, to, to myself as well. And also, each time you change an artistic product from the past, it gets a little bit less. It's the remixing principle. If you remix and remix and remix, like a song um, or a recipe, uh, you get a, it's a, it's, it isn't the pure thing that was created in the first place with whatever that intention was at that time. So I'm a bit, I'm a bit of an existentialist when it comes to the art. There it is bang it out, good or bad, and probably kind of leave it in that place is is, is the approach I come from, you know. Okay, Mr. Chen, can you describe the research process of this book? Oh, uh, <laughs> it, it was born of just the reactions to, uh, to the news that we were receiving online at that time the newspapers themselves were starting to die. They're almost completely dead now, but they were starting to die then. And I was recognizing that and trying to understand the tension between the print media and the online media and how that was being reflected in um, the comp competition for clicks. And I'm like, well, this isn't going to get any better because all that's going to happen is that, that the news itself is going to get more salacious and uh, controversial not because what's happening is salacious or more controversial, but because they're competing with each other and I could spot this. And so I would talk about what these uh, kind of uh, the presidents were up to whilst also saying all that matters is spin. And the person that taught us that first was Mr. Mr. Tony Blair in the 90s. So I was bringing that thinking up to what was happening in 2015 when the Trump was about to be elected and the Brexit thing was happening here and we had had, had the referendum and it, it was political chaos at that time actually um, and but the tech is actually even more interesting than the politics themselves and I started to explore that in this book yeah very well said Mr. Sean but before we go on I want to shout out to the people listening according to my ranking tops in the last 30 days in Zambia, I got number 7 on the Apple chart. 
Qatar at number 29, Oman at number 33, Slovenia at number 45, Pakistan at number 48, Nigeria at number 69, United Republic of Tanzania at number 25, Jordan at number 63, and Canada at number 86, Slovenia at number 96. Nigeria number 69, Colombia at 115, Zimbabwe at 130, Egypt at 136, Indonesia in 158, South Africa in 182, Norway at 183, and last but not the least, Belgium at 234. Thank you so much for supporting this podcast because this podcast is created to empower writers all over the world like Mr. Sean B.W. Parker. So, Mr. Sean, how do you deal with the writer's block? That was an amazing little tour of the world you just gave us there. I was going through all those countries in my head, Gambia and Tanzania and all those. Brilliant. Belgium. Hello, Belgium. (laughs) Anyway, um, writer's block. Uh, The other writers hate it when I say this. They get really sort of um, pissy with me. But um, I don't get writer's block. (laughs) I... I, um, I just start to write anything on a page, just a sentence about the day. And then before I know it, my subconscious has gripped on, onto whatever word I've put and it's starting to write. So I let go quite quickly. And before you know it, there's something happening. So thank goodness I'm not, I just don't get it. I don't get the, the writer's block. And, um, but I know that others do and I feel bad for them, but also what can you do about something you don't feel bad about? I have some empathy, but, um, I just got to get on with my own craft. I, I don't get it, Daniel. <laughs> Very well said, Mr. Sean. How do you feel your personal experiences have shaped your writing? Oh, blimey. Well, um, yeah, hugely. <laughs> I, um, a bit, bit actually uh, more than I'm comfortable with. Uh, you know, I, I've had a colourful life. I've done all kinds of things and all kinds of things have happened to me. And um, an artist puts all those experiences into into what what they make and be that be that but that, that the writing or the music or, or, or art because I do all these things um, and but when it comes to the books you're able to flesh out a situation into a book into into a chapter and then into a story and um, if that's a, if that's that's an issue in society um, like has happened to me, then you're able to, to kind of riff on that subject over over time. And also, um, if it's a thing like stammering, where it's a part of you since since a child, then it's like a thing that you can uh, exploit as the comfort comes of your own understanding of something. So over time, you start to become an expert by accident. And eventually you go, well, then I can help other people because they're, they're curious about how you've handled it or... Um, how you have your unique perspective on something you know i've had lots of things happen and everyone says to me you're a very positive person and i am but it's that's because of the creative process because of being able to put all these things out there into art um helps with it it helps with it psychologically so that's a good question and um uh, yeah i i think that's how i handle it is by kind of processing those those experiences into art and it's very important to me too what is your daily writing routine like? I've got a nine to five sort of life, as in I get up early and um, just 
in a normal way because I like to be a, be a daytime person now that I'm in my 40s as opposed to being a nighttime person in my 20s, you know, as some of us did and do. Um, but now I do like the fresh morning and to have a normal breakfast and coffee and, you know, doing a normal life. And um, but because I am very self uh, kind of kind of operative, I have to answer emails in the morning and talk to various people in the media, all that kind of thing, doing doing the editor things that I do um, up until lunchtime. And then once I've got past a lot of things, then I can start to explore artistic ideas I've, that I'm on, that I'm kind of working on in the afternoon and evening. So that seems to, and it's not a plan, but that seems to be how it works out. And then eventually at about sort of half past, half past eight, nine, I, I will then um, chill out, watch something on YouTube and um, possibly have an alcohol-free beer, something like that. So that appears to be what my daily schedule's like and get to bed about midnight. Can you share a memorable reader feedback or interaction that you had significant impact on you? Mm, that's a nice one. Um, I, uh, I've often had love, lovely things that are said about my books, and um, they're often quite short, And but um, a person's read it and been affected. Um, the one that I would like to give you was um, by by a writer in England called Joanna Williams, who's who's a writer for... Um, Spite and Spectator and the Daily Mail and things like this. She's a very well-respected uh, writer in the sort of kind of an anti-woke uh, sort of mold. She's, she's um, she doesn't she doesn't do nonsense. <laughs> and um, she, but her her son um, has or had a stammer, and so after reading Compelling Speech, she she did a little review of it on her. On, on her reading list and gave that to her supporters who are many so um she did a little little review of it and it was very a, a very very cool review where she said that um I, I hadn't there wasn't any self-pity in the book and it was just a description of the life of the stammer and how um it's it's a it's a way of not um accepting other people's uh, forcing of what you should be when it comes to disability. So I quite liked that because that was the idea of compelling speech. We, yeah, we're talking about that book again now quickly, but that was the best bit of feedback that I've had happened to be from the last book I wrote, which was that review, because it was very important. It's a very big deal to get a review from Joanna. So I was um, delighted, basically. Yes, indeed. What's one thing or message you hope readers will take away from you? all your books i suppose that that the person that's writing them me is um just like your your earlier question about what in your life how does that affect the work um i use the books and the english language as a prism for um for for impressions and feelings and put it out there into little turns of phrase that will involve other people who love the english language um Whichever country they're from, I don't think it's particularly kind of uh, referential to England, though I do write about English issues quite a bit because I'm here and it kind of makes sense. But anybody who loves English will be able to get into a paragraph of mine and have a good time. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> Definitely. Hopefully what I achieve in my, in my books. Yeah. Definitely, Mr. Chen. So how have your 
previous works influenced this? The only book b- b- um, coming before that was Salt in the Milk, 10 Years in Istanbul, um, which was 2014. So that was my first actual book after doing a lot of articles and things. Um, so that was the predecessor uh, going into this one. So I'd learnt from Salt in the Milk what I didn't want to do next time, which was have it to be a collection of writings, which is what Salt in the Milk is, into being a bit more of a narrative about contemporary politics, which is what genuflecting is. So each time I do something, I attempt to steer it to do something new, uh, but also to learn from the thing before. And there's also a couple of kind of albums that I'd actually released before all these books, like six or seven albums. So all of the all of the musical things that I do in lyrics, which is not that different from writing, is it? I mean, it is writing, um, comes into it as well. But because the lyrics are very impressionistic and very uh, about emotions, not about politics, um, it's difficult to see how they fit into the books. But there's there's a definite kind of bridge between the last album I recorded in t- Turkey called Culture in 2011 and Salt in the Milk, which I published in 2014. So then, um, just after coming back to uh, to England, and then after that, going into... I mean, what I'm trying to say is that, that there's a connection between the books, but I attempt to get away from that connection as much as I can to make something new. So, Sean, how do you handle criticism, both constructive and negative? Um, um, yeah. The older I get, the more I like it, um, because it's all good. Um, the chap that wrote wrote another sort of review of um, of compelling speech uh, for Stammer organization is a guy called Jack Nich- Jack Nicholas. I think I talked about this before, but it doesn't matter. Um, his review was brilliantly balanced in that he said he enjoyed how I wrote, and but but he disagreed with a lot of the book about about my approach to disability and and the, the progressive politics and stuff not that he disagreed personally but he pointed out how um some ideas that he thought were flawed in the book and i, and I loved that because it meant that, he, that he, he'd read it sort of properly deeply objectively and i always enjoy a critical eye on my work and i just engage with that it doesn't hurt me because um uh i don't know i don't get hurt very easily when people criticize my stuff because it's all unique and it's not you know it's it's just their own take on it if they're criticizing it means they've absorbed it and it's the absorption that i like not the praise yes that's what i mean what is your advice for aspiring writers out there to to just write um to not think as much as they think they have to because you don't always have to just start to write as i say to get over the writer's block crack on and then um the thoughts come they, they come by accident if they don't keep going um and don't edit yourself too much just just write and write and then do the editing much later on in a week in two weeks or kind of once the editor gets hold of it if it's um deeply uncomfortable then you're going to feel it anyway or if it doesn't quite work but the things that you're scared of writing you'll find if you do write you really appreciate them because anything real will always have value so um just get 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 with, just be as real as you possibly can, and not what you think your peer group will want you 
want you to read or the audience or whatever those kind of marketing stuff ignore all that and just write from the heart because there's enough marketing out there <laughs> is what i think yes indeed people go for it if you have the passion to write stop procrastinating and show to the world i'm inviting you to listen to my other podcast food one one our third season with chef alessandro one of the best executive chef in one of the five-star restaurants in downtown toronto and please do listen to our latest episode we talk about olive oil people olive oil one of the versatile ingredients in the kitchen plus one more our books are out not only one but seven volumes people food 101 volume one basics up to seven is all the books that you need how to create a delicious food available on amazon and leading online bookstores worldwide mr sean how has the publishing process been for you well um the uh because i'm an editor as well i um often do the editing of other people's work so when it comes to my own i attempt as best i can to get kind of other eyes onto mine um so it becomes like a cottage industry of me kind of checking out uh, kind of other writers work for other editing i do and then me giving my my work to other people to have a look at so it's become um because I'm not in the big five or anything like that um, very often, uh, I, I get to, um, uh, you, each time you publish a book, you start, if you've got intelligence into what you're doing and confidence, you just keep what worked, get rid of what didn't and what's a waste of time. And you start to understand the mechanism of the whole thing. And then sadly, you start to understand the importance of the media and um, not so sadly, it's just what it is and kind of creating stories around the story. And that is a hell of a challenge because because the writer likes to think, oh, this is my baby, this is how it is, this is a wonderful piece of work. But sadly, it doesn't matter unless you attach a story to it. <laughs> so um, you know, that's, 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 a, that's a thing to learn and it comes over time and with extra years, you know. Is there an upcoming project or book you're working on your way? Yeah, I'm, um, I've got... Um, Panopticon, but all of my all of my titles, I always choose titles I can't say. You might have noticed it's a, it's a real genius of mine. <laughs> um, <laughs> I've got a collection of poems coming out next year called Panopticon, poems for the justice industry. Um, so that's, that's that's a professional publication which is in the works right now. Um, and I've also got an album um, coming out tomorrow which is, it's a re-release of an album from 20 years ago. It was my first release called Istanbul, in Istanbul, uh, from um, like 2003. And well, the first sort of single to be released from it was in 2003. And now this album is out, um, which was originally published a couple of years later, but I recorded it in Istanbul and London. And I decided to have it uh, repackaged for um, Spotify age, the streaming age. And uh, it's looking great, and it's going to come out tomorrow. So that's it's not books, it's not book 101, but it's album 101 there for you. What is the most rewarding aspect of being an author? Um, the most rewarding, in all honesty, is getting those reviews um, by, by a writer who's really gone into it, absorbed it, thought about it, and hasn't just been paid 
to shower you with praise. They they have gone into it to actually feedback on what they've read, and you get that back, and it's fantastic. And also, people that aren't there to give give the praise back, they've just um, been touched by the book somehow, and they can't express it in the way as a critic. They've just said that really helped me. I really liked it. I've had that a couple of times off books and articles, and it's uh, very moving because that person doesn't always know how to say that because they're, they're not all like like us, you know, talking like this. And you, but you just know that you've really helped them, and that's that's the magic of art in itself, isn't it? So, um, yeah, it's just the effect that you can have on people. Where, and even if it's just one person, you know, we don't have to be the J.K. Rowling doing a billion sales. It's not all about that. It's about if you can help one, then you've done your bit on on Earth, really. So, um, yeah, um, so yeah, having an having an emotional impact on people and getting the feedback is is the best reward for sure. How do you feel about the current state of the publishing industry? <laughs> um, well, how I feel about the state of the publishing industry is also how I feel about the state of identity politics, which is not great. I think identity politics is responsible for lots and lots of serious problems um, with cancel culture. Um, people... To, I don't know how to put this too politely, so I'll just put it honestly. Um, lots of people who are white or male don't get published anymore because of having the wrong skin colour or chromosomes, because of those things, and uh, because of historical patriarchy, as they say, etc., etc. I write quite openly about this now because it's being because it's so obvious in culture. All the awards are won by non-white people and non-males, females, trans. And these things are, um, I know it's not a very, it's not a very right on thing to say, and the publishing industry is very right on. So, um, but I'm a bit more objective than that. And um, I'm hoping for a bit more balance to return to publishing and all the arts as well. It, it's a very, very woke place. And the problem is with woke is that it had good intentions, but it's gone to an almost authoritarian place now where People like me don't get published by the big five, even if they've written a work of staggering genius. So um, I'm part of the voices against that sort of thing. bit controversial, but there we go. If you go back and give advice to yourself when you were first starting out as a writer, what would it be? Just uh, to not kind of edit yourself too much. And as I said earlier, and also um, it's all right to copy, but... Uh, because that's a good way to learn. Like if, as a young musician or a young artist of any kind or writer, you tend to to emulate, to try to to find your own style. Um, and I used to think that that style was then it. That's what I did. And I didn't kind of understand until much later. I was basically copying. And once you um, once you internalize that copying, as in if then it becomes just a really powerful influence, and that's a positive thing, then you get past the copying and into your own voice. Um would I give him any advice? I don't think so, because sort of, sort of, just in the same way as the revisionism, um, he's doing what he was doing then because he had to do what he did then, and that's absolutely fine. So it's just a different, different parts of life. Just keep going. But I'm a keep going person anyway, and if it was someone else, I would just tell them to keep going if they have it in them. And <clears throat> not everyone has it in them to be a writer. There are some people who just want to be a writer, and that's not always enough, unfortunately. So.
Very well said, Mr. Sean. And can you please invite our listeners to buy all your books? Certainly can, as always. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they go to old Google or their chosen search engine, could be anything, and put in Sean B.W. Parker books. And um, they'll see the genuflecting before the Port Barrel Demagogues has four pictures of the world leaders of the time on the front cover, which is quite unusual for my stuff. So it's actually got pictures of other people there. Uh, I think it's Putin and Erdogan and Cameron and it's the Nigel Havers, who's an actor. So that's the kind of um, that's the kind of shit that I do on the covers sometimes. Um, yeah, and so yeah, there it is on Amazon, of course, and it is on a couple of other other sites too. It's occasionally on kind of eBay and Aid Books and things like this, but I don't keep up closely with the industry parts of it. But it, it's all there online. People, let's support Mr. Sean because if you support him, more more books to come. Mr. Sean, thank you for your time. Okay, thank you, Daniel. More to come, people. See you soon.